This is Stereoactive Presents. I'm your host, Jeremiah McVeigh, and in this episode, I'm joined by Charles Henshaw to discuss the latest film written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Oppenheimer stars Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer, the theoretical theorist who led the team that created the first atomic bombs during World War II. Also in the film are Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., and plenty of others. In just a moment, you'll hear my review of Oppenheimer, followed by my discussion with Chuck. How does one reconcile great achievement with the resultant aftermath that includes a massive death toll and perhaps the eventual death of the world? Can anything with those actual results and possible further outcomes even be considered a success at all? And how should we either celebrate or punish the people responsible for such things? These questions, along with plenty of others, are at the heart of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, a film with a relentlessly intense pace and swirling collection of talents flexing almost ridiculous levels of craftsmanship. At the center of the swirl is Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer. Murphy's portrayal of a complicated genius who sees the world and its constituent parts in ways others don't or can't, and who seems to feel he deserves both praise and punishment for what he's accomplished, is in the mold of Peter O'Toole's turn in Lawrence of Arabia. Playing the counterweight as Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr. gives what is certainly one of his best performances of recent years, and quite possibly also of his career. Each actor holds the screen in transfixing ways, while together providing something of a balancing act across the film. On one side, we have the rare person whose thoughts can change the world in irreversible ways, while on the other, we have the epitome of a bureaucrat. Friction was inevitable. The multi-layered, non-linear narrative and stylized cinematic theatrics are, in their way, surprisingly reminiscent of Oliver Stone's work, especially JFK. That said, the themes of the story and the styles employed in its telling are at once very much in line with Nolan's previous work, even while representing a major leap of maturity. His interest in playing with time and chronology has never worked so well, and his exploration of the often blurred lines between heroic and villainous figures has never been put to such perfect use. The ultimate result is one of the best movies of recent years. From this point on, we may discuss elements of the plot that some would consider spoilers, so if you don't want to know anything about the movie at this time, you may want to skip the rest of the episode, but we hope you'll come back and listen at some point. So Chuck, obviously I'm gushing over the movie. What did you think? Big fan. I enjoyed it. So I was very... I didn't know how to feel going in. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, it's going to be three hours. I know that Nolan is going to be dazzling in some capacity. It's not going to be a quiet, talky thing. But I also knew that, you know, you weren't going to have action set pieces per se. Uh, So... I didn't know. I just didn't know what to expect. And I was sort of like, how is he going to make this interesting Mm -hmm. Um, beyond just the general kind of academic interest one might have in it? 
And I really loved seeing it in real IMAX. And that was another part of it was, you know, what does IMAX lend to this kind of a movie? It mm-hmm. makes sense when you have these big action, adventure, sci-fi sort of um, stories. And you want them to be kind of big and engulfing. So how does it work when it's a lot of people in rooms talking? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought he did a great job of, he made it very immersive and brought you to these places and into the mindset specifically of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how you compared it in some way to JFK, Oliver Stone. I think there's, it's less uh, frenetic, I think, but, uh, but you could say histrionic. It's less histrionic. Well, I think, I think even in the, in the, just in the case, in the case of the playing with time and the editing, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I still think that the Oliver Stone editing is way more intense. Yes, definitely. Sure. Um, But, I wouldn't be surprised if Nolan was a fan or had mm-hmm. those that, you know, certainly JF, something like JFK or Nixon in the back of his head. Um, Oliver Stone made an interesting comment about the movie. I don't know if you read that. I did not. Uh, I, I'm curious. <laughs> he said it was great. He said it was a classic. And he said that he uh, had apparently turned down the opportunity to do an Oppenheimer movie at one point because he felt that he couldn't really bring the fullness of the story and the guy to, you know, he couldn't really get the the story under control and that he felt that Nolan had, mm-hmm. um, he made, he was like, I have one, there's sort of an irony in a way because he's like, I have one issue with the history. <laughs> um, and uh, already ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, you know, they've one sort of historical beef. Um, and he's a big proponent of um, there was no need to drop the atomic yeah, bomb. I know that about him. Yeah. Yeah. So he made that sort of statement as he felt the film claimed that to drop the bomb was to force the Japanese to surrender. Yeah, I don't agree with that, but. Yeah, I don't agree with it either. I don't. I think the film just presents what people yeah. said at the time. I agree. I yeah. I think it. I think it presents people and what they thought at the time. I don't think. I, I think the film is deciding how to judge, but doesn't judge in the end. It's like here's what here's a bunch of stuff we're we're presenting you with the critical lens. You do with that what you what you will, which I appreciate as a right film goer right and i would say that my criticisms of it would be i do think it's a little too long Mm. um i would i know that the casey affleck sequence i think was superfluous Mm. um i think that that whole thing of Like, who's the mole? Who's the spy? Um, It makes sense in the way that they were trying to sort of pin this 
they were trying to pin it on Oppenheimer as if he somehow knew who the spy, who the who the person infiltrating Los Alamos was. Right. Um, but that kind of search that Nolan seemed to try to take us, the audience on to be like, who was it or, you know, which person or whatever. I, I didn't care, really. I guess I read uh, that that differently. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think in tandem to that, I feel like the interrogation went on longer than it needed to for my, well, which interrogation are you talking about? I feel like, so we're, we're introduced to this as it's called kangaroo court, this sort of court that's not a court but is a court thing right. that Oppenheimer is engaged in, uh, in the back rooms of, of Washington. And right away and for a little while, you know, he's under the gun of, are you a communist? Is this, are th- these things that you did mm-hmm. both prior to and during the Manhattan project indicative of you being a communist and you've just been hiding it from us, so on and so forth. And there is a whole hour after they test the bomb and succeed of that. Yeah. Of more of that. And I understand the one part where Jason Clark, right, is yeah. the is the actor, um, is really getting in Oppenheimer's face about, you know, when were your moral mm-hmm. qualms? Uh, developed. I understand that as being valuable to the story, but ultimately it just, to me, felt like they're trying to pin him, they're trying to pin communism on him in the midst of this red scare, well, combination red scare environment slash this revenge plot by Strauss. Um, And I guess I felt like I got it. I got it. If, if they gave me 40, let's say 45 minutes of it, I got it after 20. Right. And so I just was, so there were part of, and this is thing about Nolan too, is I think with the exception of Batman begins, I think every Nolan movie I've seen, I've been like, huh? I mean, that was cool. That was great, but I don't know. And then I, it, and then it kind of grows on me as I see it again, right? And I, I think that's a, I had a similar experience here. Okay, interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. to speak to that last point, I might mm-hmm. kind of go backwards a little bit here. Yeah, sure. Um, I gave, I threw a bunch of stuff. Out. Yeah, yeah. No, great. I, I took a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> I do not consider myself in any way a Nolan stan. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm sure. not one of those fanboys or something, it, 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 even though I feel like someone reading my review or hearing my review of this movie might think that mm-hmm. like if they were just going by by that. Um, I've kind of been left cold by his last at least couple of movies like Tenant. Right. I didn't get. I'm one of those <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah, And yeah. then. Dunkirk, I appreciate, but like it left me cold. I was just sort of like, okay, I haven't had any desire to really go back and revisit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I think otherwise I'm in a similar boat to how you described. Like I've liked his movies. 
thought they were cool <laughs> in the moment. And then <laughs> yeah. they've grown on me in, in deeper ways over time. Mm. Um, especially like, I think I've kind of gone back and forth on Inception. I, I liked it and I was sort of like cold on it. Then like I kind of came back around to it and then whatever. Yeah. This is the first of his movies where like I almost, as silly as this sounds, I feel like right now I'm measuring my life by how far away I am from having seen Oppenheimer <laughs> and when I will see it again. And sure. when have I listened to the soundtrack? Cause I've had it on like on repeat yeah. basically. Soundtrack. Cause I just like, I, like I said, I'm not a stand for Nolan. This movie mm. just hit me. I felt sure. like it was him finally like doing the ideal version of what he's been trying to do in a lot of ways. Mm. And I guess that takes me to your point about like, what was this movie going to be? <laughs> like he's this guy who's known for, for making these like kind of action movies. And, and some people have tagged it as like action movies for s smarter people or not even, that's not even the right way to put it. Slightly smarter action yeah. movies. I guess you could say like for sophisticated audiences. I don't maybe? think it's even, no, I don't think it's even that. I think it's like mm -hmm. him saying like, Audiences are more sophisticated than we usually give them credit for. So I'm going to make right. a more sophisticated action movie. Sure, sure. And I think he took all the tools of an action movie and the pacing of an action movie and he and the IMAX that he's been exploring through for a large part of his career now. Mm -hmm. And I also had a skepticism. How is this guy who is known for action movies and these uh, IMAX big picture things going to mm -hmm. apply that to a biopic essentially like right. it, I, it didn't really make sense on paper, but hell if it didn't work, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, no, I agree that it did. It It's um, it's like, I've never seen a biopic like this really that I can think of, you know, like I really do think, and it's not a biopic. The closest thing is JFK where it's like mm -hmm. about someone having an obsession with the thing and like exploring it, um, you know, yeah. And then the style of it, I think, like I said, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's got a, like I said, a relentless pace. Um, and I think it's not, it, I think the editing and the music are doing so much heavy lifting of, oh, sure. of stitching it all together and making it move and being propulsive. Um, but yeah, I think the IMAX works too. Like I said, I, th I think somehow um, I mean, I didn't see it in true IMAX. That's not available where I am. I saw it in what mm. we would call LIMAX at AMC. <laughs> right. um, but but just being able to see it on probably the biggest screen in town and see the different aspect ratios, even if it's not like the actual yeah. proper formats of film and whatever. Yeah. That's always was, interesting. Yeah, I still got that, what you were talking about, that immersive feeling where I'm like, I'm in this. Like somehow I'm in this person's life in their head at moments and whatever and yeah it was just like i've never seen something like this and it was enthralling i thought yeah 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 i agree um the the imax stuff is so interesting especially if you're if you're conscious of those things like yeah. aspect right i'm sure there's a sort of layman or sort of person who's just not thinking about it that might not notice it mm -hmm. uh but yeah to see you know, the entrance to the courtroom is in IMAX and then the rest of the scene isn't. And so like what he chooses or I guess right. is forced to choose, because as I understand it, you can't record dialogue while you're using the IMAX camera. So Although I think they did some. 
they must have done i mean it must have been a like an adr situation i would think you would think but i've heard that he hates to do looping yeah i'm um, sure he does i he, just don't he, know i just yeah. don't know what his workaround is i don't uh, really either i i don't want to speak too much out of my ass here and like, <laughs> you know i i just i just know that he likes to keep everything as practical right. and from the moment that he shot it as possible yeah i'm not saying that he achieves that that seems nearly yeah. impossible but yeah like i do think some dialogue must have been shot with imax i don't i'd have to go back and like catalog it or something but, <laughs> right right you know yeah um yeah i remember a guy back in, in inception like when inception had come out he was like nolan doesn't do reshoots yeah and he thought that was so cool and i was like okay uh because <laughs> i was like why because he's just like that good um but yeah, I'm not a Nolan stan either, and I think there's always a little bit of that in the back of my mind where it's like, all right, the the bars raise very high. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I, – I also agree with you that you, you mentioned something about maturity, mm-hmm. um, and I did like that element of this, that – you know, there's nothing wrong at all with action movies and sci-fi and all the stuff that he's done up to this point. But there is something cool about watching a director who's known for that stuff take that and apply it, take what yeah. he's learned and apply it to a very dense academic subject. Yeah. Um and uh and 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 make it entertaining and i did think that it was entertaining right um i was i don't have any problem with nudity but i was off put by the nudity in the movie um i know what you mean mostly just like it felt gratuitous uh it felt sort of unnecessary with the one exception that it like sort of plays into uh, it I guess uh, I think I know exactly where you're going with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, where he's he's in the room and he feels naked and he you know and he's he's naked. Yeah, you're talking about that. It's almost a callback of like mm-hmm. the almost interior scene. I don't know how to describe. It. It's not a, it's not a dream scene, but it's like he has a vision yeah. of of himself in this kangaroo court. Right. Or really, I guess it's Kitty. His wife does right. Yeah, it's like a combo. I feel of of the, like he feels. Yeah, he feels of, naked. Of, he's and sitting vulnerable. naked there, and then um, his ex lover, right, uh, is naked with him there. And I yeah. don't know if that has the same impact if you don't have that nudity earlier in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I guess it's it. It was just kind of because everything is very like you say. Everything is very mature. Everything is very. Um, grounded in a certain way and then suddenly it's like here's this and i think the sex scene too is a little odd in in like he's gonna say his most famous line while he's like having sex with uh this woman and it it all just sort of felt a little like flashy you know in in the midst of a very non-flashy movie you know in the midst of a movie that wasn't trying to like reel in the you know the the so-called 
lower level or whatever, you know, the people who are just like, let's just see some, you know, some nudity in the, right. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that was odd to me. Uh, well, I, I think the other important part of it is that um, I, I listened to some podcasts where they were saying that, you know, he's not really, a, it, he fall, they fall in lust together. He, and mm -hmm. um, uh, so I, I do think it helps portray that in a way. I'm sure. kind of justifying it. I, I don't know if these <laughs> justifications are legit, but. Well, like uh, I said, I mean, I don't, I don't my, like filmmaker. I was thinking, you know, Kubrick loved random nudity and mm -hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson and Oliver Stone. And like the, like there's a lot of directors who make movies that have that sort of, you could argue gratuitous thing, but it usually kind of lends itself to what they're saying with the, picture in in at overall right like, this is weird this is surreal this is um about uh wild party whatever the hell you know right. like something and i just felt like what he was saying with the movie overall and the vibe of the film overall it didn't totally fit would be my yeah i i guess in a way for me that that goes hand in hand with the other stuff that you've said, like you weren't as quite as into, because like mm -hmm. I didn't think anything was really s superfluous. I, I mm -hmm. thought the Affleck stuff was really good. Um, I guess if I had to explain it, let me give it a shot. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't me trying to convince you; it's just like my interpretation, right? I guess you know. Like, sure. I, I felt like it made sense because I don't think it's about the communism stuff. I don't think it's about like the movie isn't trying to say whether he was or wasn't a communist. It I don't think it necessarily cares. I think it's about, I think this is largely a movie about people who can shake the world uh, sure. with what they do and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end, the Red Scare was bureaucracy gone mad. Right. You know, like that's what it came down to. It was like people who had power who, over other people who should not have. They were intellectually, um, they they had a disdain for intellectuals. Right. And we see where that gets us. We're like <laughs> in a new version of that sort of in recent years. Yeah. Um, in a different way. And yeah, I so I think it was saying something more about the tension between those types of people, people who can can actually do things and change the world and people who are just like in power for whatever reason they're in power, but may, should they be? I think yeah. it was more calling in, into question those people. Sure. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And I would still, at least based on this viewing, I would still suggest that that point is made more than once. Right. And maybe it didn't need to be. Um, for me at least, especially yeah. in, in, cause I think the, it, it kind of felt like the bomb stuff and the science stuff and even the moral quandary stuff, like when he goes and speaks to that crowd and has these, you know, visions of them all being blasted away. Right. Um, it sort of felt like that was a different movie from the, what, I guess Nolan and Robert Downey Jr. talked about as being a kind of Mozart Salieri thing right. between Strauss and, and Oppenheimer. Uh, 
And I was more interested in that first movie than I was in the wait. Which is the first, and which is the second? The first is the the first is the bomb, the science, right? The moral quandary, which bleeds over into, of course, the the second film. But uh, the uh, that sort of tug of war between Strauss and and Oppenheimer was just not as compelling to me. Um, yeah, I, I guess I may I found it more compelling than you did. It sounds mm-hmm. like, um, which I understand, and I've, I I think that every basically the hour or so after the bomb is the part that's been coming in for the most like criticism or just sort of people saying like I you know like maybe this wasn't all on target, mm-hmm. um, but I I just didn't feel that I, I guess like I. It was all working for me pretty yeah, much. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, which, there's parts of it that I enjoy. Like, there's parts yeah. of it that I would keep, like the, and I think the interrogation, maybe in some of the, I don't know. It felt a little odd that it, he, that moral quandary suddenly was Jason Clark's character's like concern. Cause it seemed like his whole concern was like, are you a communist or are you not a communist? We're going to like paint you in this way. Right. That will. Prevent- well, I think that that's tied up together. Like, why did yeah. you suddenly have a moral quandary? Because, yeah, because so. you are a communist and we're suddenly using these bombs against your right, allies. Right. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but I did really I will say I really enjoyed Gary Oldman as Harry Truman. <laughs> I did. Um, I had no idea that was coming. <laughs> did you? I, I just knew it would be somewhat. It just seemed like Nolan likes to do these sort of cameos mm-hmm. and i was just like who's who's it gonna be yeah. uh and so i was sort of never in a million years would i have guessed that necessarily <laughs> no i i didn't think it was gonna be i didn't know who it was gonna be yeah. but um but i was like that's kind of neat uh and truman's an interesting guy and the way he played him was kind of interesting yeah uh well to go back to maybe the oliver stone stuff <laughs> yeah like i i I know he had a particular interest in the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I knew that from his, I didn't see all of it, but I think I saw the episode of his uh, Oliver Stone's, right. what was it called? The history? It's called doc- the Untold History of the United States. Yeah. His documentary series that was on, what was it on Showtime? It was or? on Showtime, yeah. Yeah. I actually have it on DVD right over here. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I didn't see all of it. I, de- I saw that episode and I tend to agree with him about like, I think that it's a moral failing in the world that that ever happened. Yeah. I, I don't think it was necessary. I, I, I really do think that there's a lot of racism tied up in the fact that Truman, and, but on maybe this is more on Truman's part, especially mm-hmm. as portrayed in this movie, because they, they portray Oppenheimer and a lot of the other scientists as wanting to drop this bomb on Nazis because of what was happening to Jewish people. Right. Um, because a lot of them were themselves Jewish. But I've always thought that I th- that I think Truman, it was easier for him to drop a bomb on people who were not white, um, right. who were not European um, descendants and did not look like him and people he knew so much. Yeah. Um, so I think that there was a racism and othering involved in his decision to drop that bomb that I'm not convinced that they would have ever dropped a bomb in Europe, um, mm-hmm. honestly. 
So yeah, I don't um, know. I mean, that whole thing is is really fascinating. And, and Oliver Stone does this thing with history that I like don't totally align with, although I enjoy obviously w- listening to him talk about <laughs> and yeah. reading his book. But uh, where he loves to do this "what if" with history, yeah. and especially with that because he's so in love with um, Henry Wallace. Uh, you know Henry Wallace. That name rings a bell. He was FDR's vice president before Truman. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was, um, you know, secretary of agriculture. And he was like the super progressive dude. And Stone has a very, uh, you know, if he didn't trade in Wallace for Truman, when Mm -hmm. FDR died, we would have President Wallace and he would have never dropped the bomb and he would have sought a diplomatic peace and all this kind of stuff. And it's sort of, you know, he loves to do things like that where he's like, if only this one person had been in this one place, right? the whole thing could have been different. Yeah. And uh, and it's a little uh, pie in the sky for me, but sure, it's um, but it's fascinating to think about. And it sort of overlaps. This movie does none of that. Uh, right. <laughs> so it does it's not totally germane, but uh, that. That is just an interesting thing to think about in this uh, of this time period and the way they're talking about it in like Killian Murphy's system. Like, you know, what happened in 44, you know, changed the world forever. And and um, Christopher Nolan even put the line in the movie that, you know, Oppenheimer is the most important person that ever lived or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's like, OK, that's an interesting way to look at it i suppose so uh <laughs> you know i mean it's like i mean there's a case to be William made. the conqueror i guess um, yeah <laughs> i i think there's definitely a case to be made for our modern world that he's yeah for sure you know it, it like yeah that that's such a big question it's hard to well it really portrays really play it out it really but. portrays oppenheimer I, I haven't read the book um and i don't know that i will but uh american prometheus <laughs> yeah but um it really portrays Oppenheimer in an almost like the only thing I can think of is like a John Nashian sort of way where he is the mm. only one who can see these things in this way. Right. Uh, but at the same time, he is dependent upon all these other scientists and particularly mathematicians. He talks multiple times about how he's not good at math. Yeah. Um, He's good at theory. Yeah. He's not good at practical. And then they, being the Germans, supposedly have their own um, bomb program. Yeah, in the works. And that's kind of why this is all happening to begin with. So it's the sort of what ifs, I feel, can can really be. Yeah, there's a lot of rationalization. Yeah. Of of why are we, why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? Mm-hmm. Why is it not wrong to do this? I guess is really the point, <laughs> um, right? Right. And, and you know, yeah. And I mean, and they even go into like or, or touch on. They don't really go into necessarily, but they touch on the ideas of like, do we need to actually drop this on people? Couldn't we just show we right. have the bomb, do a demonstration, and that'll be enough to scare everyone? Right. Um, but obviously. Yeah, and then I do think the what's sort of touched on almost 
maybe not peripherally, but what gets kind of tucked to the side a little bit is this whole concept of, uh, at least towards the last hour, is uh, this sort of like, do we proceed to now make the H-bomb? Right. Do we build on? And I guess that was sort of Oppenheimer seemed to have this thing of like, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I think that's where he, whether it was some combination of guilt mm-hmm. from what had already happened or, well, I think it was, it was a combination of guilt and um, pie in the sky, as you right. said, <laughs> right, like right. thinking of, well, we can be bit better people. Um, like not thinking it was necessary and I'm not saying he's wrong, but I think when you have bureaucracy pushing for like, we need to be the, we need to show them that we can kill them and yeah, you know, like the powers that be are just going to, aren't going to just sit by. And then you have the other people, you have like that, like teller, you know, the the other scientists who are like, Hey, you don't want to do it. Fine. I'll take it up and right. Do, do what I can. Cause and there and there becomes ego in that, you know, that was yeah. my idea, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, I'm the right. Which, and, by the way, um, I'd heard this somewhere that um, Teller um, was apparently like a very uh, was like a, a loose inspiration for Dr. Strangelove as a character. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a fun. I want to see that movie where he goes from being the guy in this movie to being Strange Love. Like I said, a loose inspiration. <laughs> I know, but I still think that'd be a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of communicating the madness, the going right. down the rabbit hole madness of it all. Well, I feel like you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to maybe come back to this of the idea that um, this movie kind of takes a stand. I guess we did talk about it a little bit, but like I, it, it's one of those things where I'm just like, how do people, I don't understand how some people watch a movie. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, like I don't understand how you watch this movie and think that it's saying Oppenheimer was a hero. It's like about a man grappling with his own actions and the world around him also doing so. Like it's not saying yeah. he's a hero. It's, it's, it's asking like what was, what was good about him? What was bad about him? Right. And you know, I think it's definitely celebrating to a certain extent his genius. Sure. Uh, It's showing him as a genius and acknowledging that he was. Right. um, Which you can acknowledge someone is a genius without necessarily a pre like celebrating what their genius bore. Right. Um, Yeah, I think I think it's. I don't even know if I'd say it's celebrating his genius. I think it I Mm. think it is is clocking his genius. Right. Well, at, well, at the same time, maybe more actively criticizing his naivety. Yes. I do think, though, it does set up the story in a way where you are meant, I mean, maybe you're not meant to do anything, but in the as human beings who have seen thousands of movies and made thousands right. of movies, there's an obvious like protagonist-antagonist thing going on and sure. he's certainly the protagonist, and you certainly feel like he's being shafted by not having his security clearance renewed. And yeah. so there is that level of, you know, he's not the bad guy. And yeah, but I you know. I do think one of the key moments in in the movie is when 
Kitty, Emily Blunt's character, his mm-hmm. his wife, basically says something like, "Why won't you fight? Do you think that if you let them tar and feather you, um, they'll they'll eventually forgive you or something, something along those lines?" Right, right, right. And that coupled with like what what Einstein tells them about at some point they're going to honor you, but it's really for them. It's not for you. They'll mm-hmm. turn around and, you know, like act as if they're welcoming you back. But again, right. it's not for, for you. It's for them. Right. Um, like I do think there's a part of him as she points out um, that, that he wants to be punished. He, he thinks it's necessary. And I think that mm-hmm. that's what the movie is about as much as anything of him, like trying to, get himself punished to to a degree yeah. and free himself of the guilt while so he can um continue with his quote unquote genius you right. know right um and i don't think he was ultimately successful in that but you know how could you be <laughs> right yeah it's kind of they was sort of stacked against him i guess in yeah. a way uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, the the nature of time and you know what how how could he really once the genie's out of the bottle and all that sort of thing. Um yeah. what was he? So yeah, I mean, I I don't are, are people saying that they're like upset that it's lionizing him or making him out to I, be a some hero? people are. Um but I those are tend to yeah. be people that I'm like, I don't do I care about your opinion? <laughs> yeah, I would say that's a pretty like a surface level reading yeah. of the of the movie. Totally, um, I agree. Yeah. Um. Well, are you going to see it again? You, it sounds like yeah. you are. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'll see it again in theaters, but no. I will watch it again. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it twice now in theaters, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't mind making it back out to it again. <laughs> I was yeah. just like taken with this movie. I really do. Yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. One of the, I saw the that best. it was. Number nine best of your twenty five favorite oh, yeah, films of the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah. So for for listeners, I posted like, uh, yeah, my list of the twenty five best movies of the twenty first century, and yeah. I'd had this at number nine. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it is a great movie. It's not any anything. I sort of I I feel like I'm there's a little bit of a nitpickery in my yeah. uh, criticisms, but it's. It's great, and it's cool to see, and it's great for this time period. It's great for cinema, you know, yeah. to to have because those are the guys, people like Christopher Nolan, um, who insist on theatrical release, right. who insist on you know, I don't know, but I think maybe it goes a little too far with the whole like it must be on film thing, but uh, but you know, sort of insisting IMAX, insisting big, insisting engrossing. And um, and taking his power that he has and leveraging it for something really interesting and important yeah. instead of just doing Batman five or whatever. Right. Uh, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, really I agree with that. Admire him for that. I will say I will say the downside of that. Unfortunately, I think is. I've I've heard that there have been issues with some of the 70 millimeter projections. I don't think so much mm-hmm. the IMAX because I, mm-hmm. I feel like you have to be really trained to run that. Yeah. But I don't think the same kind of uh, 
I don't know what, what would you call it. I don't think they're as strenuous in, in their training of the 70 millimeter projectors because uh -huh. they're just like, well, let's dig that out of the closet <laughs> and put it back in right. and run it. Yeah. And people people don't have the same experience that they used to. And I've heard that there's been a lot of issues with that. So like, I do worry about that, you know, because like I, I remember like when everything was on film and you go to see a movie too long after it had been out and the print would be all scuffed up and yeah. it'd just be kind of you know, not the most pleasant viewing experience. Like I do miss film, but mm -hmm. I do think that there's something about digital projection that like, as long as they keep the bulb, uh, the bulb new, yeah, um, which a lot of them don't, unfortunately, mm -hmm. like you're going to get a good, a good image. Yeah. Um, there, you know, and I'm not saying that it should be, I, I would prefer if they'd have well-trained projectionists um, who can, work everything and we could we could show film a lot and yeah. had people doing that that would be great but like you know, I, I don't know if i'm getting my point across i know here, i but. mean i you are and i 100 agree i i think that's the part of him that i think is kind of over the top is like yeah. the insistence that things be shown on film because it's supposedly the prime experience but if you don't have all the people properly trained and all the equipment properly working, then it's not the prime experience and you can shoot as much film as you want, but it's not being yeah. shown the way that you want it to. And I mean, yeah, for talking about scuffed up prints, like I saw it in IMAX and it wasn't scuffed up, but there's like plenty of moments where like, you're like, is that a fly on his face? It's like, Oh, no, it's gone. That's a, yeah. you know, there's a hair in the gate or whatever. Right. Like um, it, so it, uh, you just can't, get around those things except yeah. if you make a digital version right. of it uh, and clean it up and stuff and i don't yeah. think there's anything i think there was a time where digital was truly the inferior but i i feel like that time has passed and yeah there's nothing wrong with that yeah i mean if they were going to come out with a full program to train a bunch of projectionists maybe funded by christopher nolan and his yeah, uh that'd be cool successful films um i'd be all for them trying that um but yeah i do think there's something to be said for quality control yeah he is the guy to do that like he yeah. is the guy to show that people will buy into that experience right if you you know if he really was to like open up a chain of syncope theaters or however the hell you say his production company name uh <laughs> and that's their whole mission statement and they actually do good business, then you'd be like, okay, there's something valuable here. But right. it's, he has to, it's, it's people like him, it's people like Tom Cruise, it's these guys that are like at the top right. that really have to usher that in. Yeah, I, totally. At this totally. Point. Yeah. Yeah, they have to do the reverse George Lucas, where mm -hmm. Lucas like forced theaters to convert to digital for <laughs> right. the prequels at right. some point. And anyway um yeah well any final thoughts on the movie don't do what george lucas did ever <laughs> um <laughs> uh great movie i think it's a must see i think it's a shoe in for awards whatever yeah. awards end up happening uh <laughs> this year and um and you should see it and and you know think for yourself about it <laughs> you yeah. know it's one of those yeah. movies that demands you you know have something to sort of chew on and right and make your own make up your own mind um about it well i think i'm gonna leave by urging you to go see it in theater again 
because I understand okay. waiting and it's long, but like I do think this is one of those movies that seeing it on a big screen as big as you can yeah. makes a difference. I am kind of curious to see if it takes if if it feels a little less right when it's on a screen in my living room. Yeah, you know? maybe. I still think it'll be a great movie, but I think like it's rare that you get the experience sometimes no, like you're right. this. You're you right. Know? So and and I I thought that it's such a dense movie mm-hmm. that seeing it the second time I was just like latching onto things that like I was a like peripherally aware of before right you know and it, and if it, it, it was just a much deeper watch I felt like and I I really want to see it a third time like I said so, yeah yeah no yeah. I think that's a good point and and they are apparently extending it because it's yeah. it's so I mean it was hard to get tickets right you know so people are going so. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, thank you, Chuck. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. If you did, I'd like to suggest you check out an episode of another podcast we do here at Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Movie Club podcast is a show where I talk with a group of friends about movies that have been included in the top 10 of Sight & Sound Magazine's listing of the greatest films ever made in which they survey critics and directors once every 10 years. If you're a fan of movies, I hope you'll consider checking it out. Specifically, we have an episode about the 1959 film Hiroshima Mon Amour that deals with the trauma of the post-war years with the bombing of Hiroshima as a sort of connective tissue running through the story. You can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening to Stereoct Presents, and thank you to our guest, Charles Henshaw. The music in this podcast is composed by Hansdale Sue. My name is Jeremiah McVeigh. If you like what you hear in this show, please rate and review it in Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that allows that. Doing so helps us to expand our audience and is much appreciated. And please follow us wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps, and it is, again, truly appreciated. You can also get in touch with us at StereoactiveMedia at gmail.com, and you can find more information about this show and everything else Stereoactive Media is involved with at StereoactiveMedia.com. Podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.